Kia ora everyone, welcome to the Side Hit Podcast, I'm your host Fat Tony and today with us we've got Ewan Strait, welcome Ewan. G'day mate, thanks for inviting me. Oh you're welcome, how you been? Yeah good, good, yourself? Sweet. Yeah not too bad, just working and shit. And yeah me too. Brewing this up, trying to scheme scheme this podcast thing. Yeah good work with the podcast tone, it's um, <laughs> you know like we were talking about the other day, if, if you don't do it, no one's probably going to do it and we're going to lose it and... That'd be the worst thing to happen. Yeah, I guess I'm still trying to work this shit out. Mate, you're doing great. Oh, well, um, we'll get started um, with the basics first. Um, where are you from and how did you get into snowboarding? Oh, well, I spent, um, spent the first part of my life overseas, but um, when we came back from overseas, we shifted to Nelson and I went to Wyoming College in Richmond and then um, while I was at school there I built a snowboard, I saw it in a windsurf magazine. Oh right. And I, I kind of copied it straight from the photo of it. I, can't, I think it was a really, really early Burton, but that would have been 1982 or 3. Oh yeah. And a couple of us made boards actually. One, one dude made his out of Lexine, which is kind of... Um, uh, like a plastic glass, I guess. And then um, we used to go up the back hills, up into the Nelson Lakes, and go up Mount Angeles, and we'd um, they they would these things just wouldn't turn, so, so we'd just have straight lines. So was this this wooden prototype that uh, that I've seen lurking around? Could no, that, um, no, I built one before, and it was um, <laughs> it was it was a bit of plywood. Yeah. And there was a, and I cut the, the shape of a nose out of a school seat because it had the. Oh, right. That was the kick. <laughs> the kick. So I bolted that on and then I varnished the top of it and I sprinkled sand on the varnish and then I got a, uh, an old um, seat belt and looped it on there so you could stick your feet in there. Holy shit. And we used to wear um, shoes with plastic bags inside them, I seem to remember. <laughs> Holy shit. So the idea for you to build one just came from seeing a picture in a windsurf magazine. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that one, then um, the other one that's kicking around was my second board. Yeah. And um, that was copied off a, a Burton Elite, I think it was. Another photo of a Burton Elite in a magazine somewhere. And um, I'm glad to say it's still kicking around. That was I built that in 1984, I think. All right. Yeah. Well, um, to all the five listeners out there that might be listening to this, <laughs> um, hopefully if you're a Kadrona at some point in time, uh, you might see that on the wall somewhere. Yeah, it looks like um, hopefully we're going to get a, a stock of old boards on the walls up there, which would be mm. great because, you know, Kadrona's had such a big part of snowboarding. and, mm. and um, So, um, sorry to no, rewind, no, carry rewind the tape a little there. Um, so playing around with prototype boards, like what was, how long between that and your first season and what were you doing between? So, um, that first board, I was just in Nelson and then the second board wrote it for a couple of times and, um, then I shifted down to Queenstown in 1985 and, um, I used to just hike up Coronet Peak. Was the snowboarding allowed on Coronet Peak back then? There wasn't. I, there was no other snowboarders around. So right. I, don't know. I didn't even try it. I just hiked. Right. But uh, there was me and a mate that had a swing bow. Do you remember those swing bows? No. They had like skateboard trucks on them. It was an elevated deck with two screw, two skis underneath. 
So this, the trucks would turn the skis, oh, would edge the skis. Right. Dangerous things, eh? Really yeah, fucking Christ. dangerous. But, um, and then I had, that board had, the board I built then had two fins and it had those, those really useless edges, the edges that didn't do anything. And when I, I remember one day there was quite a big snowfall and I, I snowboarded down the Coronet Peak Access Road and ripped the fins off. And this was that wooden prototype. And this is the wooden prototype yep. that's around. And then, hey, press start turn. I was like, shit, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> and then I was like, this board's going to hold me back. So um, I did go back to Nelson for something. And when I was driving back, I stopped in the East Coast Windsurf in Christchurch. And uh, Mark Brown was running it then. And that was probably... When you think about it, that was probably the first snowboard shop in New Zealand because I picked up that um, stick right. that you've probably seen around, which yeah. is the you know really early snow sticks. Yeah, Dave Partridge. Dave Partridge yep. board. And that was amazing. It had edges, sharp edges. It had flex. It had... Did it have camber? It might have had a little bit of camber for a while. It had P-Tex, you know, and it was a snowboard. It had bindings on it. And you could ride it like a snowboard, and I rode that board for probably two seasons after that, and that increased my snowboarding ability by oh, right. amazing amounts. So Mark Brown's a figure I'm starting to hear more about, and the more I've been studying up this podcast, like yeah. a, I yeah. don't know much about him, but like a surfy sort of hard boot riding Canterbury guy, is that right? He wasn't always hard boots, but no. yeah, Canterbury, he, he had a, a shop in Sumner called East Coast Windsurf. And I knew him from the windsurf days, and then, um, and then, then gradually I got to know him more through the through the snowboarding. And in fact, him and um, Willem Gronin, who lives in Wanaka, um, started up the NZSBA. Oh right! And the it's kind of mid to late eighties. So there was a bit more of a link between windsurfing and snowboarding back in those days. From what I could gather, like you had like brands like Mistral making boards and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, fanatic. What were they, F2? They all made um, windsurfers and snowboards. Mm. And so you, this time you were down in Queenstown doing the winter seasons? Yeah. Or were you just there passing through? No, no, I, I went down to see a friend and I just never left. Okay, what um, was this when you were sort of working the NZ Tread? No, NZ Tread wasn't around then. This was um, way early days. This was 85. And then... Um, so NZ Shred, before before it was actually NZ Shred, got started up by some Americans who were down here for the season. Oh, yeah. And um, it was Brad and Brent Reeser, and Brad Reeser was a Burton team rider then. And um, who else was there? There was there was quite a few. There was Sean Farmer. There was um, Zach. I can't remember his last name. Um, and those guys started up NZ Shred. Right. Basically started so Sean Farmer was a part of it. Yep. Holy yep. He shit. was riding down here. Christ. And then um and then then what happened was they basically went back to the States and I took the shop over and then I didn't get paid and I worked for shares in the shop. So I was managing the shop and just working instead of getting paid, which was pretty hard. But yeah. You know, um, cost of living back then. So you wouldn't Talk about Queenstown in this time. Like, what what was it like? Was there even a snowboard crew or scene? Or I mean, it'd be very different from the Queenstown we know today. Yeah. 
Well, the scene, the scene was basically those visiting pros from America. Yeah. And there was other guys like Sten Webster was there. He was hanging out with those guys. Uh, Willem. Uh, any competitions that we might have, then, you know, the Christchurch crew have come down. It says Aaron Bolt, those Aaron guys. Bolt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. And Actually, Aaron Bolt was living in um, Queenstown then as well. Oh, really? Yep. All right. And so then there was um, Seamus Butt, Dill's brother. Older brother. Yep. Yeah. Who became a uh, Burton guy. Yeah. Him yeah. and Guy oh, took sweet. over the Burton dealership in, in Monica and in, in New Zealand. All oh, right. And so at this time, were you kicked off? I, I've heard a story about um, you going up to Cadrona and Sean Gilbertson telling you to piss off. Is there. Um... I don't think he actually caught me to, um, to, right. <laughs> to, to, to say anything to me, but. Myself and a friend were like, oh, Kajana looks good for a bit of riding. We'll go over there. And we didn't know it was banned, you know. Yeah, and well. it was only banned for a really short while. Mm, so you know, what, what year would we be looking at? I think that was 87. 87. Yeah. yeah. And um, so we were riding and then suddenly there was, there was this guy chasing us and we were just riding. And the lift was like, yeah! And letting, <laughs> letting us on the lift. And we were like, oh, yeah. And then... Um, we rode and then left again. We heard that this mountain manager had been chasing us. <laughs> but all the lifters were like, yeah, get, get on the lift. <laughs> and that mountain manager was Sean sure. Gilbertson. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but basically, you know, the, what, they were, he, he just wanted to see where the sport was going yeah. and make sure that the lifts were going to be able to handle snowboarders. Yeah. And the slopes were going to handle snowboarders. I have got some other stories about other ski fields, though. Well, that was bringing me to my next question of how did you go with other mountains around, well, around these parts? Yeah, well, um, at that time I was living in Queenstown, and then I think it was 88, there was quite a a skiers revolution against snowboarding you know we were scraping all the snow off the hill and we were used and we you know we were just larrikins and you know swearing even at people <laughs> and then um so a band of there was one one ski in the grave guys oh, i think they're still yeah, around they, there yeah, they're, yeah they're still around there was um a shop owner who i who will remain nameless but um We'll tell you a little story about that a little later. Yeah. And um, the ski field management, there was a guy called Neil Harrop, who was a diehard skier. He had that um, fly-by-wire thing. Oh, yeah. It's a bit weird. <laughs> okay. But um, they, they'd banded together, and they wanted to get snowboarding banned from Coronet Peak. And, you know, I had NZ Fred, and it was hard enough making money in those days anyway, and mm. if they banned snowboarding... It would be the end of NZ Shred, but also it wasn't going to help snowboarding grow at all. Yeah. I mean, I love snowboarding. Everyone, all the snowboarders love snowboarding. Yeah. And um, Coronet Peak is a giant skateboard, skate park in the sky, you know. What yeah. It's like. when, the, when the snow's on, it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, so I went to this meeting and I was sitting around this table and I was like, hold on, I'm the only snowboarder here. What's going on? There was five other skiers who were dead set about getting snowboarding banned, and uh, I can't think, I can't quite remember how it played out, but um, must have done something alright because they didn't ban it, which is awesome. And, and the, full credit to Coronet Peak for actually listening and 
not just listening to the diehard scares and saying, oh, yeah, we'll just yeah, we'll get rid of those guys. Yeah, and then this um, nameless guy went on to actually make quite a bit of money out of snowboarding. Yeah, well, that's right. When um, So I got out of NZ Shred and, and um, I sold my shares back to Rod Reeser, who, yeah. who's Brad, Brad and Brent's father, and so he what, owned the shop. What year did you get out of NZ Shred? I got out of NZ Shred in uh, 93, I think it was. Okay. 92, probably 92 actually. And um, then uh, Rod Reeser sold it to Jeremy Northcott, who you mm. know from yep. from from your early, early days. And um, so after Jeremy had it, which was, you know, I can't really remember how, maybe four or five years, he sold it to this unnamed person and this guy made a lot of money out of snowboarding and soft goods and, and all that. And... It still doesn't sit well with me today. Yeah. I'm still a bit bitter, eh? Sort of so <laughs> vocally against it, and then suddenly, yeah. what's up? It's like all those mountains that were vocally against snowboarding, and then suddenly realised, oh, it's in the Olympics, we should probably... Yeah, and we can make money out of this, yeah, eh? Park City, Keystone, yeah. all those ones. Yeah, even Aston. Yeah. yeah. So did this lead to... Um, so with the uh, strive for snowboarding to try and become legitimate through resort yep. eyes. Did this lead to you and Spice starting snowboard instruction in New Zealand? Ah, so what happened there was Spy was with the new Action Fun crew. Yeah. And I was I had the shop and I used to rent out snowboards and stuff like that. And the only way I could or the only way I could feel good about renting a snowboard to someone that hadn't done it before was actually teaching them on the carpet. So yep. I'd teach them on the carpet and then send them away. And then um, I was like, oh, I, I need to really get up the ski field and do this because it's, you know, you can't teach people on the carpet. So I went, I drove over to Wanaka one day and I saw Nigel Kerr. And he was like, oh, yeah, why was, not? Was this when you was the marketing manager at Cadrona? No, Nigel was the head of ski school then. Oh, he was right. running the ski school. And uh, so I started work teaching up there, yep. and I, I taught for that season, and then Spy joined me, I think it was the next season, we worked in rentals, yep. which you know well up there. Yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> we only got, you know, two snowboard lessons, three snowboard lessons a week yeah. back then, and um, so you had to have another job to supplement it. Um, and then Nigel, who was very, you know, he's a very proactive person, and he's yep. he's still in the industry today. And um, managing coronet or something. Managing yeah. coronet, yep. And Nige um, said, "Hey, you guys, you kind of know what you're doing. Why don't you guys start up a countrywide certification thing?" Right. So in 1991, I'm pretty sure we we wrote the manual that summer. Oh yeah. And set it all up. And then 92, we went on the road and we went around the country certifying instructors. So first of all, we'd do a, uh, I think it was a five-day course, you know, covering all the basics, techniques and, and teaching techniques and stuff like that. And then um, I think towards the end of the season, we did the exam. All right. So we've got a whole lot of really good snowboard instructors. And so the main, the main idea of it was that everyone taught the same progression. Yeah. And you could take one lesson at Coronet Peak, and then you could take another lesson the next stage at um, Ruapehu, and it'd flow on. Right. 
Yeah. Was there a lot of resistance from resorts at the time with with this instruction program? No, they're actually right into it, right. which was great. So yep. you didn't get any of like the hardcore ski school heads be like, oh no, this is just a fad sort of no, thing. No, no, no. We um a lot of them helped us out actually, and we what we did get was resistance a bit later on from the. We can edit this later, eh? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> From the New Zealand Ski Instructors Alliance, and they oh, yeah. staged a hostile takeover of the Snowboard Instructors Alliance. So to have it recognised overseas, you've got to have the International Ski Instructors Alliance recognise it. Yeah. And the Ski Instructors Alliance were like, well, we're going to take this over because we're going to, you know, the ISIA is not going to recognise your your qualification anymore was there any international snowboard instruction associations or anything going at the time you're aware of or any international yeah like did were you looking at like other countries being like oh, oh. canada's got something going no on. so what what we did and the, and i think this is great what we did was we just did it all ourselves we didn't look at anyone else yeah because actually when you think about it, i don't think there was anyone else doing it so there was no one to copy right. so everything we did was from everything that we'd learnt. Yep. We didn't copy anything. And when you look back at it, you know, I'm pretty proud to say that we were quite a way ahead of the rest of the world, you know, in the next few years. Yeah. And we we actually still are, though the world's kind of got a much smaller place now and everyone shares ideas yeah, and, and so it's all pretty similar. Internet's kind of shrunk the world a bunch. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, I remember when I started in the industry in the late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. um, and a lot of people were going for the New Zealand Snowboard Cert Level 1 because it was worth a Canadian Level 2, that's that sort right. of thing. So yeah. I'm not tripping there. That was that's for right. real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That was for real. And um, did that lead to you coaching Halfpipe at Kadrona later on? Yeah. You ran the Halfpipe um, yeah, school? Yeah, when was it? So I ran the Snowboard School for a while. And then um, I was doing back-to-back seasons in Aspen. I did that for six six years and then um i got a little over that and wanted to do something different so um we had as you probably remember we had three four or five hundred japanese coming over yeah yeah um, half pipe ninjas and we had four mate. we had to build four half pipes in the end just to basically cater for them all and we'd have three half pipes going at a time and one would be closed for shaping holy shit so that was the reason behind so you had like the international the monster the johnny what was on oh, the camp one yeah the camp one yeah god the name of it's evading me it yeah. was the um oh, it'll come back to me after a yeah, because the Johnny was named the Johnny Holmes because it was the longest pipe that they'd shaped at the time. No, because it was bigger than fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I ran the half pipe camps for a couple of, or three years after that. All right. And, um, you know, you get a smattering of of kiwis or whoever wanting to do them but it was you know it was 99 percent japanese so i either had to hire new zealand coaches which i preferred to do yep. that spoke japanese yeah or japanese coaches that could would come over and that could speak english as well right so who were some of your um 
coaches back then. So, so we had uh, um, listeners might recognise. So we had Kentaro. Yeah. What Watanabe. I remember seeing um, Ken. Ken was a great rider. Him in the snowboard magazines. Yeah. And there was Hero. Um, Kiwi guys. We had Phil Taro, Gareth Mowat. Gareth Mowat was yeah. a bit of an underrated. Susie Park. Rider. Gareth Mowat. He was. Um, like, you know, I was saying the other day, he's probably one of my favourite riders, but one of the most naturally talented snowboarders I, I've ever seen. Yeah, I remember just seeing him. My dad bought me a snowboard lesson, I mean a half-weight lesson, which yeah. I was trapping because he didn't have heaps of money. And That's Gareth, awesome was, money Gareth was my coach. Yeah. And I, I was just psyched to be riding with someone that could do tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was just riding with like my dad and granddad. I just never forget like him dropping in like, oh, he's never ridden half-weight before. Dropping in McTwist first hit <laughs> out of, must have been a 12 foot pipe, and he was about 8 to 10 foot out. Yeah. And my dad was watching too, like, wow, that's what he gets paid to do. <laughs> <laughs> Which pipe was that on? Oh, that would have been what is now the international pipe. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, <laughs> yeah. and then Harkin flips, like, well, I remember when I started working there, and yeah. I mean, he's a good dude, but he's kind of went a bit out of space a little. He and, did, uh, yeah. He had the most amazing like Harkin flips in the Johnny Holmes, yeah. That tricked up sequence there, yeah. and no, he was yeah. a, he was an amazing rider, yeah. Up there with um, oh, we'll go over some more amazing riders, but later on, eh? Oh yeah, man, it's it's you can talk about whatever you want, dude. I'm yeah. Well, you know, on another um, on another level, yeah. And I don't know if our listeners are going to know Woolly, but Tony Walston was he was a, a freak from outer space. So, in many ways. Mm, so, like, he was, because I remember seeing him in the New Zealand snowboarder a lot. Yeah. From what I can tell, and I could be wrong, but he seemed to me like the first guy to bring skate-style snowboarding to New Zealand. Like, yeah, for sure. Doing rodeos back in 93 and his, like riding for lip tech and I remember, stuff the whole time. I remember when he turned up in Queenstown yeah. and he was just, uh, he was 18, I think, and... um just this young punk skateboarder he got on a snowboard and he was pulling tricks his first day all right yeah i was up there when he when he first went up snowboarding and i was like what was that so his brother's a legendary skateboarder in new zealand too, Scott Scott Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, yeah yeah that's right so i remember there's still a sequence I'm, i should actually take a picture and put it on the instagram page of tony walston doing a frontside three cross rocket Yep, yep. I don't think I've ever seen anyone do one since. No, you won't and, have. Yeah. That I mean, was his signature move, that. Really? Yep. And he's got, like, has he got some shoots named after him in O'Hara or something? Like, first descent? Yeah, or? somewhere up there. But um, I hope Willie's listening. Man, yeah, that'd be sick. Hey, Willie. Hello, Willie. <laughs> so, uh, what's the half pipe thing? I guess we'll go into, it seems a good time now. Like, were you inspiring, from what I can tell, with guys that were responsible for shaping the first half pipes and producing the first half blade well half um, pipe blade so and so the first half pipe was 89 and yep. i think spice started in 90 or 91 but um i so initially we started shaping the half pipe it was so wide that you just get the groomer in there and back it backwards <laughs> and forwards shit. using yep. the tiller on the blade and you'd get You'd get a rough shape, so you'd have to build tombstones down it to get hits. Right. And um, it was like, it's not really half pipe. So I remember being in there on skis. Yeah. My instructor took me down, 
and uh, then there was a gap in the wall or something. <laughs> yeah, that gap yeah. was um, to let the water out because there was a spring in the middle of it, so there was actually a, a creek going out there. Right, so how did that lead to you guys producing um, half bite shapers? Was there anything else to go by out there internationally? So what we did, first of all, there was... No, there was nothing out there then. I think the ninety one we we built that our first blade, so we bolted it to the to the groomer, and Dave Bogan Dave yeah would go down and he'd scrape the pipe and it'd be there'd be wobbles all over the place, which you couldn't help back then yeah, and um and then I was like, how do we get it straight? I was like, I know, I'll get the chainsaw out, eh? <laughs> this is what I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> so what I did was I'd just set a string line up on the wall. Yeah. And I'd cut the vert with the chainsaw. And then I'd tip die down there. Right. And then Bogan would um, scrape back to that cut. Right. And normally I'd, um, you know, I'd, I'd uh, prize chunks out so he could, he could see the die and he'd know where to cut back to. Right. And that straightened up the pipe a lot. All right. And then after that, we built... Mark Begg actually came back from Austria with the design for, for another blade. It was a double skin blade with teeth. Right. Was that the one that sort of moved like a conveyor belt? No, no. This is just a scraper as well. This oh, is right. the second gen scraper. Yeah. And that you'll see them both up um, on Skyline at the top of the Johnny... Well, basically at the top of the old Johnny pipe, they're sitting up there on Skyline. Right. And it, that's real history, that stuff. Yeah, So right. that... Um, and that was a, we probably got a 10-foot pipe out of that. Right. And we got a better shape. It was a much better transition. And then um, and then after that, we bought our first um, actually revolving right. so they, shaper. Right, so they were sort of being produced overseas. Yeah, that first, and they were built by, I think Casborough built it actually. Right. And it was the pipe magician. And were they seeing what you guys were doing or no one really knows or? They, I don't think they saw what we were doing. I think, so it's safe to say, at least in New Zealand, like you can say that Cadronas actually had a big history with half-pipe oh, shaping sure. and yeah. leading the way, that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, and I was, I was talking to um, Ali, remember? Yeah, Ali, shaped, yeah, You know, and he shapes the, the um, Olympic pipes now, and he was saying, because Ali worked at Cadronas shaping pipes for mm. quite a while, and he says... Cadrona is now recognised as one of the major influences of pipe shaping in the world. Well, that's a pretty which is big, amazing. Pretty big um, deal to have that yeah. coming from someone like him. Yeah, that's right. Ali, if you ever listen to this, what's up? Hey, <laughs> we miss you down here. Homie. Yeah, I haven't seen that dude in a long time. He was. Um, he came like he was here last oh, two years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, I think when, those dudes are night owls, though, aren't they? Yeah, they and are. Unless you're yeah. in the groomer cab, you won't see them. Yeah. So, I mean, so like, with this half bike riding, like, who who were some of the standout riders back then? Uh, so Japanese guys. Ken was a Ken was one of the standout riders, and then in, into the scene pops old Q. Quentin Robbins. Quentin Robbins. Ollie B. Yeah. Ollie Brunton. Ollie Brunton. The Spy unit was up there. Spy was a great pipe rider as well. Jeez, um, who else have we got there? I um, I never saw myself as a great snowboarder, and that's why I ended up going to the shaping side of things right. and, the, and the competition organising side of things because I, I realised early on that I wasn't a great snowboarder. So, so I, uh, Pam Bell and Drew Bray were kicking around... 
Although Pam Bell was more of an alpine rider, right? Pam Bell was an alpine Racing. rider. Joe Bray was a great pipe rider. Suzy, Suzy Parker was Suzy Parker. just behind her. Yeah. Um, and so this is sort of in mid to late 90s. And then there was Sharon Parker. Sort of and Yeah, a lot yeah. of these heads are still around, eh? They are, yeah. They're and all, then, yeah, they're all, they're and all. then that must have led on to like Dylan Butt and those first hit McTwists that yep. are still fucking... <laughs> What's up, dude? And Denny Bevan and those dudes. Yep. AJ... Oh, sick. Actually, Danny, yeah, Danny goes, he goes back a long way. I remember um, selling him his, he had some switchblade, I think it was, and I, that was his first board, and that was... Um, so that was the NZ, NZ Tread days? Yeah, that was NZ Tread days. That was right. like 88 or something like that. He was just, you know, just a kid. Yeah. And but he came right through, and he, he you know, and he... Oh. He definitely had a, a lot to do with, you know, how snowboarding went as well. Well, him and Dill, I think they had a really strong period in the early 2000s yeah, where they just dominated. Right. And yeah. It was crazy. Like, one of the things that influenced, inspired this podcast happening was Dylan came by the workshop last yeah. winter, said what's up, and shot shit for a couple of minutes. And once he'd gone, one of the rental guys comes up and goes, Oh, who was that punter you were speaking to? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that, yeah that, not really a punter. That dude ain't a punter. He's on first name basis with Travis Rice. Yeah, like, yeah. dude. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah all those guys, eh? Hey, they they did really well in New Zealand, but they also did amazingly overseas. Like, you know, and like was, you say, first name basis with Travis Rice, you know? I mean, Quentin was huge in Japan. Yep. That sort of thing. Yeah, and yeah. I remember yep. going, uh, when I lived there and... 2007 2008 and i had a unit hoodie and unit was long gone as a snowboard brand yeah and there was still japanese dudes like whoa unit clinton robert yeah yeah <laughs> holy shit <laughs> <laughs> i mean here's what him and ollie brunson i could yeah i mean the, well this podcast is dangerously close to becoming a love letter to unit <laughs> snowboards <laughs> another um, another amazing new zealand brand though oh yeah man i spent you know? um well, I mean, there's one behind you there. I spent uh, a lot of my twenties traveling the world on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, with the comps and the nationals, I, I um, sort of have memories of like the after parties at Barrows being <laughs> not, quite. Not many. Other, not quite, many other people have memories of them. Everyone <laughs> was so drunk. I was telling Heidi about it. Like I, I went to the '96 one in Barrows, and it yeah. was just drunken carnage from everyone oh, yeah. and like all the sub 20 grams were there and wasted and yeah they tried to stop us moshing so they put the bouncers in the middle of the <laughs> dance floor and everyone started doing a circle pit around <laughs> <them>. <laughs> yeah. and the dude that won the spot prize board got sort of chucked down the stairs like picked up and chucked down he still my because my dad was with me just laughing his ass off the whole time yeah <laughs> they were um, um those parties were definitely the parties of the season yeah you know and um i remember because i organized the nationals and then mike morgan had organized the parties afterwards yeah and i don't know how he got it but he did get some rad bands you know he got salmonella dub for a couple of years right oh, yeah. near, right when they were coming out yeah all right and um so because that's the only part nationals after party i ever got to experience were they all as raucous as yeah, that or they were holy but shit. um i don't know what it was but 
coming towards the end, end of the 90s, yeah, they just quietened down. Yeah, right, I don't know. If, if mellowed right, out. It's just that health and safety thing. I think you can't have 500 people on the floor of a on the second floor of a <laughs> pub just jumping up and down when it's rated for 100. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm really surprised there was no major carnage. I just remember being in the mosh pit, and I was like in between Spy and Ollie Brunt, and those are big dudes. Yeah, and I was just getting crushed, <laughs> and I was so psyched. Like this is the best. I'm thing getting ever. crushed by my heroes. <laughs> yeah, holy shit! Oh man, it was a fucking oh, dude. Um, did you have a lot to do with uh, New Zealand snowball manager? New Zealand Snowboarder Magazine, Sten Webster, and um, those, those dudes? Yeah, I did. Phil Erickson and Sten. You know, that magazine they put out was international quality, and you'd mm. agree with me there. And it was just those two guys doing it, really. Yeah. And um, they did an amazing job. I used to... Um, so I lived with Sten through the 90s. Oh, yeah. In Wanaka, here? In Wanaka, in, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Wanaka. in Wanaka. And... Um, he used to put his, you know, heart and soul into that magazine because he was editor. Yeah. And um, he was trying to do other, you know, he was trying to judge, he was trying to snowboard, he was trying to... He used to um, teach half-pipe camp as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how he found time to do all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I forgot to hit record on that device. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, it was a bible for a lot of us, and especially like as a grom in Dunedin in the nineties, oh, yeah, it yeah. was. And the and good thing about that magazine was you always knew someone in it. Well, you guys would have. Um, to me, though, was shit, man. Like to me, it was like Paul Trapsky and Ollie Brunton was like Jamie Lynn or Terry. Oh, like, yeah, well, dude, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. even though yeah. you know, I guess. And, um, because they were all good friends of mine. It was yeah. always good to see them in there because they always deserved to be in there because they yeah. were doing so well. And I mean, Paul Trapsky someone that probably needs to be talked about too, right? Oh, he was Trappers. fucking gnarly. Like, his trips to Alaska and shit. Back were you... Did Alaska you... Was raw. Did you see the Nationals where the half-pipe comp was in the international pipe? So, pretty small pipe. Yeah. He, his first hit... He dropped in on the Doughboy yeah. and did a McTwist. The one behind you? The Doughboy behind the you? The Doughboy behind me. And the McTwist? No, no uh, yeah, it was this model, but not that one. Right. So for the listeners that aren't sure what Ewan's talking about, the Doughboy's a board produced by Lib Technologies that's two metres two meters long. And uh, holy shit, a McTwist. Head high out. Yep. national. Yep. Fucking Way hell. out. <laughs> and he's a tall boy. Yeah, yeah, because he, he was the importer for and team writer for the LibTech brand for a while, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. 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 He did them good. He was He's such a dry, you know, softly spoken yeah. person, but his writing talked for him. Eh? He was he was one of, one of those amazing writers that just New Zealand put out, you know? Real powerful. I just remember yeah. seeing them placing in, like, King of the Hill in Alaska. Yeah. Back when Alaska was raw as fuck. Yeah, yeah. And cowboy as fuck. Yeah. And um, him and Danny Mia. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, it'd be so cool to hear those stories and shit. Do you keep in touch with Paul now? 
Uh, I haven't talked to him for a while, but he he's based in Auckland. He's got kids and a wife, and but he's just flying um, flying helicopters in Papua New Guinea. I think he's still doing that. Right. I think he does that like From six months a year. Raw as fuck Alaska to raw as fuck Papua New Guinea. Yeah. Holy shit. But um, um, yeah, last time I saw him um, was probably three years ago, and he came snowboarding up Cardis for a bit. No just way. Just with the whole family. Oh, sick mm. man. Um, so you've got quite a track record of injuries, <laughs> and um, well, you care to uh, um, sort of talk about what you were talking about at work the other day with uh, ACC, or do we need to leave that one off the record? Well, I don't know. No, we'll talk about that. Right. So, um, yeah, I have had a few track. I have had since um, basically it all started with windsurfing, and that like windsurfing's terrible on your shoulders. And I started popping my shoulders out there, and then um, and then snowboarding was just as bad for it. And then um, so I've had injuries through the ages, and then 2014 I chopped my thumb off at Holy work. Fuck yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, how did that happen? Oh, I just stuck it somewhere where you shouldn't stick your thumb. All right. Actually, straight after that, someone came up to me and said, you know, you should never stick your thumb where you wouldn't stick your dick. Oh, yeah, I was I like, yeah, right, okay, yeah, why didn't you tell me that before? <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I stuck it in a pulley and it wasn't, it wasn't good. But when I was recuperating from that, um, ACC <laughs> sent me a... A comprehensive list of all my previous injuries up to well from 1989 onwards and it was kind of I just took it as a warning like right mate you've got 38 here two more (laughs) and you're out (laughs) holy shit 40 strikes um there was one injury I was wanting to ask you about (laughs) involved a Waratah if I'm not mistaken Uh, no it wasn't a Waratah it was a it was a concrete reinforcing rod rebar Oh, right. Because yeah. um, I've, I've not heard the story from you, and I'm not sure of the story I've heard. Well, anyone out there, don't listen to the story from Spy, because you know, he <laughs> likes embellishing shit. But um, you'll get it from the horse's mouth here. Yeah, okay. So it was indirectly related to snowboarding, because uh, from the early days of snowboarding, you know, I used to wear gumboots with, you know, the Ashley gumboots with, the lace-up ones with ski boot inners in them. That was my snowboard boot. Right. And it's not no good for your feet at all. And I got bone spurs. And and then, um, like I was saying, I kept dislocating my shoulders. Oh, yeah. So I went, uh, I went down to Invercargill and um, got the bone spurs cut off, off both my feet. And then I got one of my shoulders fixed up. Went back up to Nelson to um, recuperate with the olds. And then a couple of mates came up and we went and had a barbie out on the boulder bank by Snappers, which is a surf spot spot out there. <laughs> anyway, I was a bit unsteady and I went off to have a piss. <laughs> and I was standing on this bank, had my arm in a sling, my feet were both bandaged. Couldn't walk that well. And then my feet just slipped out from under me. And and it's it was totally, when you think about it, it's like a 60 billion to one chance that it happened. but um so i impaled myself and i was just in the wrong place at the wrong time i impaled myself on this on this rebar where did it impale you (laughs) (laughs) i knew you're gonna ask that so i went straight up my butt (laughs) 
holy shit. <laughs> yep. But, uh, you know, when you look at most of my injuries, they're all like that. They're like, how the fuck does that happen to someone? <laughs> so, right, we're going we're gonna to stay on this for a sec. I've never met anyone that's had this happen to them. Oh, do you want to... So, oh, so, wait, wait. Do you want to know what my nickname was for a while after? <laughs> I actually, there was a story in one of those men's magazines about it. And my nickname is the Human Shish Kebab. <laughs> so... Do you have to get your mates to pull you off this Nah, so with my good arm, I push myself <laughs> off. And you don't feel like, you don't feel that stuff inside you. It's Holy like, oh shit. yeah. And I went back and we turned the lights <coughs> on in the car because it was dark. And they said, bend over and we'll have a look. And there was just a little hole in my pants, you know. And they're like, oh, he doesn't look too bad. I was like, oh, okay then. <laughs> but then after a while, the all the bacteria out of your bowel starts getting yeah. into your bloodstream because everything was it went up 400 mil so fucking it's hell. just about a half a meter that's quite a long Jesus way it just Christ. missed my heart but i i didn't think there was anything i didn't i couldn't really tell it had gone up that far anyway and then i started you know convulsing and i got taken to hospital and and they operated and they pulled everything out and cleaned it and sewed it all up and threw it back in again and holy i'm as shit. good as the the day I was born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was yeah, that's a goodie. <laughs> well, our five listeners might be cut <laughs> off by that one, but <laughs> holy shit, where do we go from there? Uh, well, we did talk about the nationals. Oh yeah. And did you have a bit to do with judging snowboard competitions back in those days? Yeah, yeah. So um, there was no snowboard judges around then. Or no qualified ones. So what you do is, um, I was organising the nationals. I'd grab a few people that could snowboard that weren't actually going in the nationals. Yeah. And so let's, you know, we'll give points for whatever. And we saw we, so we sussed out a loose judging system, I guess. Yeah. As a case of having to, and and um. Then from the Nationals, you know, Tony Harrington started up the Halley Challenge yeah. and would have that, that big air in town. So that started, I think Heidi was talking about it, that started in um, Barrow's yeah, car park over a car or something. Can you remember what year that was? 94. I can't remember. I, I want to say 94. Jesus, was it that early? I mean, I was an outsider looking in as a grommet in yeah. Dunedin. I do remember it um, absolutely going off in 96. Mm-hmm. Because the same night the All Blacks were playing Australia, so the pub was gnarly <laughs> full of like full of farm people and, and then snowboarders. And there's this amazing shot of um, Denny Bevan doing a rodeo, and you've got the Celtic sign below. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. So were you a part of that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so um, Harrow got me in to judge that, and then we'd get a, I'd get a couple of other people to judge, and I. The one thing I remember about judging that comp was we had to sit on a... The best view was from the little lean-to above the door. Yep. You know what I mean? The little the little yeah. roof. But it, obviously it's angled. Yeah. And um, and our payment for doing the judging was like a dozen beer each, and we just drank that over the night. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the only way you could stay up there was put your feet against the little raised nails, holding oh, the, the tiles on. And um, numerous times we fell off, and you know, but we got the judging done. It was fairish, 
you know? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Do you remember who won? The, um, there was... There was an American chick. Yeah. Yep. Right. <laughs> and I can't remember who won the guys. All right. And it was about the same time you got that picture of Danny Meir. That's right. Going it, off the gym. And yeah, the classic picture. Headbutting the photographer in mid-air or some shit. Well, yeah. smashing the camera up. Yeah. Danny got Something. a few stitches out of that. But um, oh. it was a good picture. I, like heading for the camera. That was an yeah. awesome picture. Yeah, might have to dig that one up put yeah. it on Insta. Yeah. Um, so did, were you uh, judging still when they moved the big air to like Lismore Park? That sort of thing? Yeah, still judging then. But... um. What what tended to, what happened then, and I'm trying to remember back. But I think Nick Parada came over from Alaska, yep. and he was judging then, and he he kind of schooled us up on you know some better judging techniques and everything. And that's when Stan Webster was getting involved as well. Right. And I'm pretty sure Nick Parada was judging that competition as well. And the one <laughs> I just have one. One thing that happens in every competition that helps me remember them, and the yeah. one thing that happened at this competition was there was no toilets there for us. Yeah. So in between, I think it was like the women's and the, the men's, we all jumped down and we went and had a piss out the back against the fence. Yeah. And the bouncers came along and kicked us out. Kicked out all, kicked <laughs> out all the judges. Kicked out all the judges. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to walk around the front and try and find Harrow to get, get us back in again. Well, the bouncer wouldn't believe the word. Well, right? first of all, they got quite physical. They threw us against the fence first, and then they kicked us out. <laughs> Piss all over the legs. Oh, shit. Um, so were you judging all of them like when... My first experience of that was the one when Grinspoon had the fight on stage, my first season. <laughs> <laughs> I remember just digging the music and then just hearing this gong and the bass player knocked the singer off the stage with his guitar. And like, oh, I guess that's it with the music and shit. So I'm guessing maybe if you were judging, you had a better um, no, I don't. point. Nah, I don't really... You probably remember that better than I do because I was judging. I was getting paid with beer. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so there might have been some uh, s- people that would have complained about judging results. No, the judging was always going. fair. It was always fair. Yeah, oh, always right. fair. <laughs> so you were um, running over to Aspen for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I instructing. Was that um, sort of... Were they sort of playing catch up with what you inspired sort of started sort of thing? Or yeah, how, that, how did that all come about? That was a freaky place, Aspen. Just it's just a it's another world over there with all the money. But um first of all I just went over there and um taught yep. normal lessons and then they found out that I was um running the the um so it was Snowboard Instructors Association, Association with Spy back in New Zealand, and I ended up um, running all their instructor training. Right, so was that through an exchange with Cadrona or something? Or no, no, it was just just a, a job, basically. Okay. Yeah, but um, great job, great job. Mm. And the people that work over there are awesome, but um, you do get some, you know, money. Yes, pretty I'm, high profile Hollywood and whatnot. Yeah, sort of deal. Yeah, there was Kurt, a lot of Kurt Russell asking where in Australia you're from and that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there more to that story? That uh... no, I'm just singing a few other stories, but um, 
you know, they're not that funny, really. All right. Guess you had to be there sort of thing. Um, So back in the day, there was a lot of, like, seemed to be there's a few people having a crack at building their own snowboards in New Zealand in the 80s and 90s, the snow sticks, and then JMS with ribcage. And you, Tsunami. Tsunami. Who else Were you was um, close to any of those guys? Or? Well, I was close to them, but I wasn't. I didn't have anything to do with building the boards. Right. Um, in fact, JMS and I didn't really get on early on. Oh, really? <laughs> I remember one of those one of those um, nationals prize givings. Yeah. We'd have a, we'd had a bit to drink, and um, we had the we had a yelling match. Oh, really? Or something because he didn't win something, and he just thought he deserved to and you know James is quite vocal yeah and opinionated and a whole lot of other words <laughs> <laughs> but um ever since then we've been really good friends right. and we actually started a business up and right. this is when I got involved with ribcage making snowboards right and we started up a business doing um snowboard rentals out of a bus mobile madness mobile madness yeah and um and that was cool because we made all the snowboards for that business, we probably made 30 snowboards. It was awesome. We designed, uh, uh, like, the ultimate learner's board. Yeah. And, hey, presto, what does Burton come out with next year? The LTR system. The LTR system. And we'd just come out with, we called them the, uh, the progress system. Yeah, I think we, up until about three or four years ago, we still had them in the Cadrona. I know. I, I did see one there the other mm. day, actually. I think yeah. one of the staff must, must have bought one. Yeah, they, they got sold off yeah. a few years back. Yeah. Now, Great boards, though. Oh sweet! And so, yes, JMS had a long, a long mm. career of building snowboards and yeah. building for other people and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, hi, JMS, if you're listening. <laughs> Hopefully, you're listening, JMS. Yeah. We miss you, mate. Yeah. Come back over. And were you riding hard boots as well as soft boots? Actually, uh, first, first things first. You want to talk a bit to our five listeners that are all probably were there anyway about what hard boots, the difference, hard boots and ah, soft right. boots, that sort of thing. So, so I guess what happened in the early days is there weren't any snowboarding boots, so it was easier for mountains and whoever to put hard bindings on any snowboard and then just rent them out with ski boots or just to use ski boots since ski boots were readily, readily available. But... You know, ski boots are uncomfortable as shit. Yeah. And um, so what they did, the next stage basically was they came out with a snowboard-specific hard boot, which is a bit softer than a ski boot. And uh, so that's... And they used that for racing. Right. And then um, still not much movement in them. And um, they... I've got some more stories in a minute. Yeah, um, I keep them coming, man. Uh, though... Where'd we get to? Hard boots. Hard boots? Yeah. Racing? Uh, snowboard hard boots. So, I mean, it was obviously a race-inspired, a ski-inspired Yeah, it was, it's race-inspired. Race so you're quicker edge-to-edge, yeah. you know, things like and that. Did you spend a bit of time in hard boots? Yeah, I did spend a bit of time in hard boots. I'm not proud of that. Oh, no? Yeah. <laughs> no, I actually am. I had a good time. Hard <laughs> boots have their place, you know. Yeah. And I used, to, I used to enjoy a good race. And back in the old days, you used to, like when we first started the Nationals, you had to do everything yeah. to get an overall title. So what were the disciplines you'd have to do in that? So we had GS, we had so giant slalom, slalom, um, half pipe. 
Yeah, and then Border Cross came along a bit later. Border Cross came along a little later and we probably got rid of um, Slalom then, I think. Yeah, and then um, Slopestyle would have come along And then Slopestyle came thing. out. Yeah. Speaking of Slopestyle, were you one of the um, people responsible for building that log slide by the yeah. halfpipe? Which was got to be the first incarnation of Cadrona Parks. Yep, so you know, I was just looking at a photo today. Rob Johnstone sent this photo through to me. was of Michael Morgan... Rob and myself building this log slide, and it was how you entered the half point. Really? Well, it was just another way of entering the half You had point. to ride the log slide. You didn't to have enter. to ride it, but you got extra points if you rode it. Right. And my endearing memory of that is Simon Stone, rest in peace, Stoney. He, because like I was saying, when you did the nationals, you did everything. Yeah. So I just remember him sliding that on his. I think it was a Burton PJ, which was an asymmetric race board and his yeah. hard boots, and Stiff then carrying on and doing his half pipe run. So he did the log slide and the whole half pipe run and yeah. stiff so he would have got board. Yeah, and he would have got <laughs> extra points for actually doing the, the rail slide. And was this the same time where they had the tyre? Oh, that's right. No, this was, I think that was, yeah, it was, mm. like that log slide was there for quite a few years, and yeah. then we got that loader tyre, that's right. Mm. We had that on the on the lip, didn't we? Just above the lip. I'd forgotten about that. Nice memory tone. <laughs> well, I just remember what... I mean, I still was figuring out snowboarding. Just bonking. And, well, there's this picture in um, one of the issues in New Zealand Snowboarder in 93 of Lucas Solos, who started sub-20 snowboarding. Yeah. 50-50 in the log slide. And I remember I was there watching that go down in my with a rental board. <laughs> and, and I couldn't believe what I'd just seen. Like, yeah. I was trying to describe it to my parents. Like, this guy, and he's on the log, and and then they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's no fucking logs around here. And, There's no trees here. Yeah. And, and I'm like, no, seriously. And then I remember seeing that picture in the magazine, like, whoa. And I still, it was... So that so, was, a, um, yeah, so, that was an old power pole. Yeah. And uh, we scratched our initials on it when we... <laughs> when we built it, and I don't know when it got take out, taken out, but I don't think it's gone anywhere. Yeah. So every log I see up the hill, I I check it out to see if I can see our initials on. Maybe it. that's, have, there's another piece of history right there. Maybe but, we have to have a Yonder Max Slocum and uh, head of yeah, parks yeah, now yeah. and see if we can get a log, a log slide, slide back in. Um, That'd be awesome. Which I mean, that's pretty cool. And then that spawns like slopes the uh, first terrain park which i remember in 96 down the double chair which is still the present location yeah of the park that's now. right and uh and now cadrona parks has got this world-class thing all from you guys it's amazing isn't it yeah, yeah. It's, who would have thunk <laughs> no one but, <laughs> it's amazing like, how things um how they grow like that and how they evolve yeah i mean i've, I've got to post that picture of lucas solos it's yeah so yeah sick. yeah and that uh, would be. But speaking of um, Rob Johnston, um, oh, he was quite a um, well-known figure within the Queenstown snowboarding circles yeah. with the snowboard workshop. A bit of a legend in fixing probably, boards. Yeah, probably anyone that's had their board tuned will never forget Rob Johnstone. Yeah. Or had their board fixed by Rob will never forget him. <laughs> How he's, so? He's quite an individual, Rob. Yeah. Was, he, uh, but very talented. He's, you know, he's... Now he's a diesel mechanic, electrician, ugh, snowboard instructor. Had his own, had his own um, fix it shop. 
He's, I, he's a very talented individual, but um, he, he's crazy. Yeah, the driest sense of humour in yeah. mankind, right? Yeah. Remember, when I bought my first twin tip from NZ Shred in 95, and he, like, I was so hyped, it was on the floor, and he, it was in the way of where he needed to go, and he walked across it, tip to tail, while looking at my dad and grinning at him. My, <laughs> my dad, again, thought that was the funniest shit he'd ever seen, and that just to see the look on my face. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you, um... <laughs> yeah. I'll give you a story from, from say, so Rob and I worked at NZ Shred together, mm. and um, <laughs> if you if someone came into the shop that you knew and he didn't know, yeah, you'd introduce them, and then he'd go around, smell their butt, and say, <laughs> "Yeah, they're all right." <laughs> and the other person would just be looking and going, "What the fuck have I come into here?" Classic Rob Johnstone, he still does that. Still sniffs people's oh, asses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do hope you get him on here. He'll have some classic stories. Oh, shit, stories. I, might, I might need some moral support to back up <laughs> if I bring him on here. Like, I'll make sure I don't eat Mexican beans the night before or oh, something. Oh, yeah. All right, so could get a bit He'll awkward. smell everything. <laughs> and then you have a lot to do with Steve Webster in New Zealand. Snowboard magazine. I think we sort of touched upon that. We did earlier. touch on that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, where was I going to go? I did forget a few. Th- well, I didn't forget about a few things. But um, Sten, when I mentioned that Nick Parada came over and he yeah. schooled us up a bit more, Sten then kind of took over that whole judging side of things, and he basically he did a great job and brought it through to what it is today. Yeah. And himself, Heige, who yep. you've had on here. Um, I think Stubbsy now is judging fist comps, but all those guys, there's been a lot of New Zealand judges now that mm. have been overseas and judged World and, Cup and Olympic And comps. so Sten Webster sort of laid the groundwork yeah. for that. Yeah, so totally. He's, he's the ground zero yeah. of that. Yeah, Sten, rad, man. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I never worked out how he could find time to do all that stuff and be editor of New Zealand Snowboard Mag, which is probably a full-time job through the yeah. winter. Yeah, and, and maybe a bit through the summer as well. I can't imagine um, things paying too much back then no, either. No, no. And um, so you've been at Cadrona for a while. You've been working with Spy for how long? Well, I've been at Cadrona for 33 years. 33 years. Consistently or? Yeah, consistent in a row. 33 Holy years shit. consecutively. Um, and Spy, what did I say? I think he started in 91 or 90, and then he took a few years off and shifted to Christchurch, and then did, he's come back. And he did the Snowboard Instructor Alliance or something while he was... Yeah, so I got out of the off. Instructors Alliance, and then he he took over the full running of it with uh, Chris Skulls, and then um, I was running the Snowboard Association, and then Spy took that over from me because right. I... Didn't have any time. I was trying to run. Sweet. Actually, what was I doing? I think I just needed a rest. Actually. Oh yeah. Uh, could you enlighten our listeners to what a cross under turn is? Is that the? Am I saying that right? Yeah. So you've got two turns: cross over turn, cross under turn. Yeah. So a cross under turn is basically your upper body is. Where did this question come from? I remember you saying something about inventing it. No, I didn't. You didn't invent it. it. No, 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 not at all. No. Yeah, but a cross under turn is basically your body is facing down the foreline. Your board and legs 
are just doing all the work. Right. Okay. It's quite a um, aerobic activity. Right. Yeah. And so, at thirty-three years of Cadrona, you would have um, experienced a few um, parties, night stuff, parties, oh. uh, that sort of thing. You care to? I'm going to bring up one. Um, were you there, and I'm assuming you were, the year that the two groomers played soccer with a broken up car oh, in the see, car park? Yeah, that car, that, that, um, that game should be in the Olympics. That's an awesome, <laughs> imagine having that at the win- Winter Olympics. <laughs> While the apartment guests are in the apartments. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, that is, um, and then they squashed the car, didn't they? I'm I think not, it was a Toyota Corolla, and then um, I think that car ended up getting blown up. Was that the time, was that the year that they blew it up, and then they're getting calls from the farmers across the valley, being like, fuck, you guys doing? No, we actually got calls from Arrowtown, because Bill Clinton was staying in Arrowtown. <laughs> <laughs> from blowing the car up. Yeah, that was that exact night. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, can you put a true and false on this one? True or false on this one? Oh, um, so my first season there was 99. Yep. And I'd heard about the night staff party with, they had a car, they set up a, a race course outside, the car was on fire, they were racing oh, yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Sean and we, we had a jump. Really, you had a jump. Yeah, so, we had a jump as well. And then did you come out, tell you run it was dangerous, get in the car naked and do the whole course in reverse. Yep. And then... Totally T. <laughs> and then... I, I don't know if I can remember the last one. What's the oh, last right. Part? Then I heard the fire got extinguished. They smashed the car up, took it down to car park B, blew it up, and that's where you got the phone calls from. Oh, that must have been that, that's, yeah. that's that one. There's a lot of cars involved. <laughs> there used to be cars involved every year, and no, no, I just want to let you know now that no one ever got hurt. Oh, there was a lot of near-death experiences, <laughs> but actually no one ever got hurt, and it'll never happen again. Yeah, it's... Obviously. Things are a bit different now. Well, well, but, what um, about when Andy Bates rolled the snowmobile above the car park? <laughs> that, yeah, that snowmobile ended up about a metre shorter. He didn't roll it. No. He, it, it, he jumped off, and it went off, we call it Bates Bluff now, right. and hit the car park. And ended up a metre shorter. Can you want to uh, enlighten our listeners uh, where, in fact, this bluff is we're speaking of? So this bluff is, and it's not a, they've kind of tamed it down a bit more, but um, the bluff is in between our workshop and the base building. So right. if, you, if you park in the car park there and look at that bank behind the workshop or by the workshop and the base building, you'll see Bates Bluff. You are staring at Bates Bluff. Yeah. Holy shit. And I've got nothing else to say about that because, <laughs> no. Oh, man, like, oh, Andy, Andy would be uh, interesting there, get a few stories out of, I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, he's coming down in February. Oh, really? Oh shit! I mean, maybe I should have him on here to dig up some dirt first. Mm. And uh, <laughs> like, um, holy shit! Like, there's so many memories yeah. about those parties. I mean, like I said, you could never have those parties again. Mm. But for the people that were there, they are going to be long lasting. We'll remember them till our deathbed, and yeah. we'll be laughing our asses off. Yeah, because well, so much good stuff happened then. Yeah, I mean. Even not so long ago, we set up a, um, were you at this one, the extreme 
the extreme um, tubing course. No, I've not been behind night, night stuff. stuff. Ah, oh, okay. I, I never was able to get in, but I remember seeing Diggs's. Yeah, Instagram Pete Diggs story was there. Of and, that um, tubing course, and five people ended up concussed from it, like smashing into a groomer blade or something. Ah, oh, no. I think each other, each because other. you'd stop, stand <laughs> up, and then someone would just take you out. And um, it was it was a high speed, exhilarating course, mm. something you couldn't couldn't do for the public for sure. <laughs> <laughs> But when there's alcohol and everything involved, it's yeah. fine. Well, I remember the, my first five years at Cadrona, the um, the closing days were quite different to... Ah, uh, closing, yeah. See, that's another that's another element. Like the time we threw the How car off. How did we make it through bluff. the whole season? I don't know. I was telling one of the one of the crew, like, about 2004 closing. Yeah. Should, should I go on about it for our... Maybe don't put any names in there. On to keep the names out? Yeah. All right, so 2004. I'm... Oh, fuck. I, I'm going to cast my mind back to 2004. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so it was a shit weather day. Is this when we drank Mez Dry? Yeah, so right. we'd run the, run the lifts until the day, yeah. and it was a shit weather day, so no one was really riding, so yeah, everyone was yeah. getting tanked. And we go out to Mez, Mez gets drunk dry, and Patrol would always have their obligatory beer fight with um, each other. That, uh, what was his name? Chip, something? Uh, um, Bloody hell. Ch- uh, oh, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. And, then, um, and then out of nowhere comes two bottles of nitrous oxide, and everyone's huffing away on there, and like, holy shit. So we all drive down, so I was one of the only sober dudes there. Yeah. And we all drove down to Capel's Bluff. We were throwing the tires off, laughing our asses off, like, yay, tire, yay, tire. And these fucking things are bouncing, like, 10 foot, 20 foot, 100, you know, just. And Rusty, who was my workshop supervisor at the time, let one tire go, and we are all like, yeah, tire. And then out of nowhere, this is hours after the public was supposed to have left, a, um... Camper van comes out of nowhere down down the road. Well, holy shit! Were they going shit. down the road? Yeah, they're really? driving down the I road. I remember. Yeah. And then this tire bounced like literally five foot on the road in front of this camper van, and it kept on going. And was just like, whoa! And Jim, ah, he's like, oh, everyone stop, stop with the tires, stop with the tires. I'm like, oh, okay. And we'll wait till it's gone. It's like, and then person X said. Now continue, and we're all throwing tires off, like yay, fucking tires, you know. And, and then everyone's sort of puking and having to piss in the water table and whatnot, and getting the convoy. And then the mountain manager at the time strips himself naked, stands on the lead van of this convoy, is like forward. <laughs> what was he pointing with? Um, <laughs> well, from what we could see, his right hand. But <laughs> and so we're driving down slow. We get down to. Pringles, and we're about to overtake. By then, the convoy sort of split. We're yeah. about to overtake the kindergarten girls. They all had a van to themselves, and as we're overtaking them at Pringles, there's just everything like on show. Oh, cleavage and bits and everything just smeared <laughs> against the windows. Like holy shit! And so my manager at the time turns around to our van's like you all know what to do do the same <laughs> and so our crew which was like a co-ed crew yeah. started getting their bits and cleavage and everything smashed against the window as well 
and we slowed down to we were both in first gear blocking the road <laughs> driving from just watching each other pringles just driving uh, all the way to that 35 corner after duncan's dip yeah and then they pull over they're all feeling a bit sick and whatever and and so we pull over too because our crew's not feeling amazing yeah so everyone's having them you know relieving themselves and whatnot, whatnot. this dude from the cafe Jumps out of the van, squats down on the water table. Like, you squat to take a person, bust out a quick dump. <laughs> like, you are raw as fuck. <laughs> what the fuck? They, uh, used to, they used to get a lot of people from Gore to work in the camp. <laughs> well, this guy was English. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah. See, that's and even worse. <laughs> he comes back in. We're like, fuck, I'm not sure if he'll let you back in the van. You're kind of gnarly. <laughs> and then we're driving down, and then the marketing manager of the time was the ticket office manager and the administration um, supervisor are yeah. all stark naked in his four-wheel drive going off-road down by the Pine Trees car park. We continue driving down. We get down to the toll gate. There is the mountain manager still naked and a bus doing donuts, which I didn't actually know buses could do donuts. It's just like watching this propeller that's out of time. Like, holy shit. That guy can do anything. Though. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. And... Uh, and then we pull down, he stops doing donuts in the bus, parks it up, comes over to my window. He's like, do donuts! <laughs> like, okay, I've got a van full of people with no seatbelts, we're doing donuts. And then he's going around to all the other vans, you do donuts, you do donuts too. <laughs> and so we had the synchronization with the lefty, synchronized donut. lefty van. Yeah. And every time our windows would meet, the driver of the lefty van would give me the finger guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, we stopped that. There's all this fucking god knows what going on and then we're all packing up and then there's a greatest driving down and no one really notices until someone's like oh my god it's that girl from apartments she's on the grader and we all turn around she's totally naked on the side of the grader the guy driving the grader is totally naked too <laughs> and then he drops a blade and see everything's vibrating and we're all just like Whoa! Oh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, like yay as well. And we all died with heaven. <laughs> and then we're in the van driving back to town, sitting on a hundred, and this van shoots right past us, like Riverside Rentals one, and they hit this dude from Ticket Office, this Australian dude on the roof, roof surfing in the town. We're like, naked, of course, eh? Hey. What's that? Naked. None. He had actually had clothes on. Oh. Well, well, disappointing, eh? But oh, in case he fell well, off just for the grace yeah, safety, stuff. safe yeah. ass. And we're just like, well, that's the last we've ever seen of that dude. <laughs> and then, oh, fucking, <laughs> <laughs> fucking see him at the town office. He's just shaking, like, <laughs> like, dude, you okay? He's like, that was amazing. <laughs> His eyes are just like doing spirals. Out to Hawea, some local decides it's. 300 Cadorna staffs a good night to go watch the league match <laughs> and fucking and uh, tries to have a swing at the greater driver. Yeah, Phil's not a small guy. And he's not a small he? guy. And um, and then that's about to kick off. Tom Wilmot steps in and staunches out the local. Yeah. But I don't think things are ended there. There's a lot of pushing and shoving and lots of gestures yeah, I being made. That, eh? And then two instructors jumped on the roof and fucked all the tiles of the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember there was one of those dudes that oh, I'm sure he was a rentals dude like fuck I mean they all blend into one and he was in the restaurant 
um, banging his oh the closed girlfriend. off part of yeah, the restaurant yeah yeah and this girl he was seeing it they were they were kind of getting jiggy with it and the manager banging banging yeah and they were the manager walked in on them like mid bang <laughs> <laughs> and was trying to kick him out because remember I was hanging out with a bunch of people by the doorway in there and we just hear this hang on let me get my dick sorted out back in my pants <laughs> and he's being shoved out with his pants around his ankles and this girl's trying to regain some sort of dignity and that there is the sort of the closed days of my first five years See? in a nutshell <laughs> That'll never happen again. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I don't know. Probably, probably not the worst. That <laughs> no, it's we, good. we wouldn't. They had a bloody. And like I said, no one, no though. one got hurt. You know, and I we've got a lot of good stories to tell. <laughs> I don't know how though. That guy that was on the fucking van, <laughs> like they weren't going slow. I do remember um, <laughs> someone did roll a van and uh, just. You know that first straight when you get out of the Cadrona um, yeah. road there? And I think it was a Riverside Rentals van. Oh, we had budget vans back then. <laughs> and um, we decided to have the donuts in the in the paddock there. Oh, yeah. And then Mustang Willie, we call them. <laughs> so Mustang Willie thought he could do the best donut and he just flipped the van. <laughs> I mean... Um, I've, I've, I want to get John Melville on here at some point and talk about the year before in 2003 when we threw the car off the side of Capel's Bluff. Yeah. Which was fucking yeah. crack up. And That's actually the closest I've seen to anyone hurting themselves. And I think one of our groomer drivers, who will remain nameless, actually got something stuck as we were pushing the car over. Oh, right. And they went with it, but they managed Holy to... They managed to pull themselves back again. Christ, I don't remember is, that, but I was too yeah. busy trying to take a picture of it. <laughs> but, well, we should probably, so we can keep our jobs, anyway, change, yeah, change the subject matter, right? That was all fictional, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Christ, who knows? <laughs> uh, you know. Um, back to the snowboarding, anyway. Yeah, though. right. <laughs> <laughs> Great place to work, Cardi, so. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, yeah. That's my excuse sweet. for being there 33 years. Yeah, the parties. Yeah. So I've um, come... A lot of people have associated you with riding the two-metre-long doughboy boards oh, up yep. at Cadrona. Yeah. How did that come about? Because it doesn't seem like the kind of board that's you would ride in New Zealand. No, well... And no one... When I got my first LibTech... No one was obviously importing Libtex. No one was... Well, I think there was a few Burtons being imported. I think Challenger Sports were importing them, and there was a handful of other boards. But So the so the Reeses, who started up Yanks, NZ Shred, what we used to do was they had a shop in Breckenridge called Snowboards of the Rockies, and at the end of their season, they'd send all their boards over to me, and I'd sell them which was a great scheme because yeah. we got rid of all their old boards and and we were a year behind anyway with boards back then so um and i just remember opening up this box and i was like what the fuck is that and that was this not this one but it was the original one that that you're looking after and it's got the, the top sheet, this is an amazing board. It's got John Travolta on the bottom out of Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. On the top sheet, it's got daisies imprinted into it. Yeah. And it was one of the first cat boards ever made. Right. And that's and, a very iconic uh, Lib Tech And it's skull. a very iconic. And skeleton this graphic. one behind me here 
It's the same graphic on it, and yeah. it was a 10-year anniversary model. Right. But I rode that board for I can't remember how many years, and I ruined it by trying to fatten my stance because we were all going fat stances, yeah. and the, that board wasn't designed for fat stances, and you had to have your feet, you know, pretty like 300 mil apart, right. which is, I would have been laughed at. Yeah, yeah. So, but so, anyway, so then um, I think Trappers sorted me out this the tenth anniversary board as a wee nostalgia, as thing. a wee nostalgia thing, and then which was a little bit shorter. I think the the original one was two ten. Yeah, and this is one nine five. Yeah, and I rode that board as my as my everyday board, and I taught on it for probably three or four years. Jeez, what do the um, clients yeah. think when they see that board? <laughs> Um, under yeah, your arm when you're going to go and teach a lesson. What the hell is going on here? Yeah. Oh, he's a Kiwi. It's all right. All <laughs> oh, right. Did you pull that I, card a lot overseas? <laughs> overseas, I did, yeah. Oh, that's what <laughs> they do back there. And so are you saying wider stances? Was this sort of the rise of the first era of, like, new school jibbing? That yeah. That sort of thing? Yeah, when I, you know, um, I relate... I call it the Tony Walston era for some reason because he just had the fattest pants, the fattest stance. He didn't have any high backs. He'd take really? his high backs off so well, he could tweak. You know Mike Ranquet, who is the first wave of jimming yep. dude, yeah. is still a proponent of no high backs. Is he? Yeah. Really? Yeah. But then again, he did. He rode in Alaska on Sorrells. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, no. you, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I've gone on them. And, um, yeah, that was it. Right. Fat stance. And then sub-20, STS. Yep. So they were sub-20 before they were STS. Um, sponsored all those groms like Barnaby Newton, Legs. Uh, AJ was AJ, one of them. And Sam Duvall. Sam. Yeah, I mean, they had Willie, a, And um, they just had the fattest pants you could imagine. Yeah. That, like, the sub-20, they had a huge, gnarly squad, eh? Oh, like, they were, yeah, they were like, awesome. Like, for, for the time yeah. and stuff. And, and um, Debs and Luca just looked after those guys like yeah. they were their own kids. Yeah. Well, I heard, um, I heard like Luca was just such a GC, like he literally oh, yeah. hooked up half the South Island. Yeah, that's right. Sort of thing. Yeah, they were yeah. the loveliest people. Ah, sweet. And so in time you would have seen a lot of change in the snow industry and uh, snowboarding... Well, I mean, I guess we can say, like, snowboarding effectively saved the ski industry. Well, right? that's right. Yeah, it did. No, um, when they... Have you got more to add to that? Well, not really. Well, well, I, I guess mean, the design of snowboards, they looked at, what, at how snowboards were being designed and built, and they transferred it to skis. Yeah. And those skis were amazing. Yeah. And a little side story was um, I got out of pair of those Elan Parabolics which were the first super side cut skis yeah. and I haven't really skied before I've done a little bit but I jumped on them it was like riding a snowboard right like so you just put the edge in and you just you take the same line yeah you, you take, take exactly the, the same lines and I <laughs> guess another little story so I thought oh this is fucking easy I'm going to go on the ski masters because I was, I was like just over 30 so I qualified right. for the ski masters so I had my fat pants and everything and I I couldn't I couldn't ski with ski poles, yeah. So I lined up the start and I and I raced and it was a GS I think, and I won my age division. I came third overall. Get the fuck out! You at knuckle dragging you and <laughs> yeah, knuckle dragging you. And they're like, we can't have this. <laughs> this isn't right. <laughs> so they're like, 
You need to you need to cross the finish line with at least four pieces of equipment. You didn't have poles. <laughs> so any, I think any excuse. So I think actually I might have I I got got disqualified or maybe I think Nigel Kerr was running it and maybe talked sense into them. I can't remember. Mm. But um. Well, I mean, the snowboard national. I mean, the snowboard masters were way more fun than the ski masters. Uh, how so? I, I well, did it we once, were but... snowboarders. Yeah. <laughs> there is um, so back then. Back then, skiing and snowboarding was a total cultural divide. Mm. You know, it was totally different people. And when you look at it today, it's exactly the same people, which yeah. is great. And snowboarding's snowboarding has done that by yeah. by making those skis by making the ski companies develop skis like that gone from like 210 straight skis to a 175 yeah. functional that, that's skis. right exactly so i, I have uh, when i have people come through the workshop up at cardis and a lot of them don't seem to understand oh snowboarding influenced and saved the ski industry it's like well the skis you're on right now like these twin tip early rise rockets yeah. How it's a it, it's a snowboard. How come it took snowboarding for this to happen? But an interesting side note with that, like um, we're saying, how you got a bit of attitude from the masters and skiing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my first few seasons, I was riding a lot with Dion Newport and Marty Gilling yeah, yeah, those days, yeah. who were like the first wave of skiers that were applying what they see on snowboarding, yeah. like doing rails and switch tricks and yeah. you know, making skiing look rad. And uh, it's it's interesting that I swear the race community hated those dudes more than they hated snowboarders. <laughs> like traders. Yeah, totally. Ooh. Eh. And uh, and uh, I I know that Dion when he was doing his instructors got vibes from a certain individual that told him he didn't have a future in the ski industry. And the brothers now look at him now. World yeah. class head judge of the freeride world tour. Yeah, yeah. So this is the moment where we say, "What's up, D?" How you going, man? I'm your day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're the man. Um, holy shit. Well, I think we've covered everything. I'm sure I've missed a whole lot, though. Oh, like everything yeah. on my... Is no, there, that's awesome. Is there anyone you want to thank? Or any any shout-outs to any anyone before we sign off? Oh, my parents, of course. Yeah. It's always your old say. Mm. They always influence what you do in some way, shape, or form. And my parents by telling me that I wasn't going to go anywhere snowboarding and that made me fight harder to go somewhere snowboarding yeah sort of watch me do it sort of thing yeah and and back in 1997 yeah I won snowboard of the year and I didn't win it for my riding I won it I guess for for my contribution to snowboarding yeah but that was the first time that they actually accepted what I was doing they're like oh Oh yeah, and now you know they're mm. stoked. Yeah, now now there's something in it, sort yeah. of thing. And now you know, look where it is. It's fun. yeah, it's great. Um, I guess before we start, we were sort of touched on like, did did you experience a lot of um sort of that skier snowboarder vibes back in the day? Sort of oh, thing? totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that story <laughs> I was telling you about when they wanted to ban it. Yeah, yeah. That's so, the ultimate bad vibe. Mm, so I remember watching like so. Like my, you've met my granddad. He yeah, taught yeah. me to snowboard. Yeah, in fact, an awesome you, individual. I, I still have the board that you sold him yeah. when you worked at NZ Shred, and um, like it was a trip for me. Like he was snowboarding. He's my granddad. He's not a young punk or anything. Yeah, 
and just watching him get attitudinalist lines. Yeah, like when, exactly. Because like in the nineties, there wasn't many fifty-something-year-olds riding snowboards. Yep. He was looked at as like, oh, this far-out old dude sort of thing. <laughs> it was so weird. To be like, Here's but it guy. wasn't for who he was. It was just for what he yeah. was riding. And it's like, which well, is what's all ridiculous. The, all these people vibing on him. It's like, man, you could talk about all these other cool things with him, be blown away. But yeah. because he's riding a snowboard, yeah. You automatically judged him. For yeah, and it was so weird to watch this, like, weird to watch, like, my granddad, and yeah. he had grey hair back then and all that, being like, oh, take that surfer shit back to the waves. Like, man, you're speaking to, like, my granddad, like, what the fuck is up don't, with you guys? Yeah. You know? Don't vibe him out. Yeah, he dicks. Yeah. Um, before we go, I've got some stock enders, sort of like a wee hit and run sort of thing. But you can... Uh, Talk as long as you want about each subject. Oh, yeah. We've already sort of mentioned it, but favourite rider? Um, I reckon Wooly. Wooly. Tony Wollstone. Yeah. The original totally. STS yeah. freestyle guy. I could say anyone overseas like Terry A or anyone like yeah. that, but Wooly because I know him. Yeah. And what makes him my favourite rider is the all-round pa- all package, you know? Yeah. And there's so much that people probably don't know about Wooly. Mm-hmm. That you know, if you could have, we could have talked for probably two hours about that. Oh man, like maybe we need to have a round two then. Like. <laughs> but Willie is, you know, and he was just such an and totally influential on the on snowboard tricks. I think. Yeah, really. In that time, sort of all terrain, ride everything in front of you, sort of deal yeah, kind of guy. Yeah. All right. A favorite mountain. Yeah, that is a hard one. Isn't yeah. It? Well. Depends. Favorite, favorite to snowboard on. It, it, this is this is yours. To Actually, what I what I'd say, Cadrona in two years yep. or three years or however long it takes to get Soho going. Yeah, and I've done a lot of riding game. down in Soho. Yeah, like Rob and I used to ride down Soho and then walk to Arrowtown. Holy shit! And go to the yeah. pub. <laughs> and it'd take you know four hours yeah that was it it was awesome mm. and but there's some magic terrain over there yeah i mean it just yeah. continues but also um coronet peak with good snow is just a giant skate park in the sky Unbeatable, like i was talking about eh? treble yeah. cone you know they're all good yeah i mean treble cone's got a bit of a cult what's that yeah cult following yeah but i, I back you on the coronet on the powder day man like it's amazing. It's funny because like Wanaka heads don't really get it. Like really, like man, that place just a yeah. giant skate park. Everything's on. Yeah, it's amazing. Totally. Uh, favorite board. Doughboy. Doughboy for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, so. Second favorite board. Yeah. JMS Carbon Fiber Stealth. Right. Um, one six four, Goofy Border Cross. Right. BRX board. Just, um, I'm still riding that board to the stage. Oh, sick. It's still got that much camber. Turning weapon. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. But definitely, probably this day boy. Yeah. Yeah, the 10th anniversary. That's a good ride, that one. Yeah. Uh, Favourite video part? Oh, shit. I think it was Travis Rice just hitting pillow after pillow after pillow after pillow after pillow after pillow <laughs> after pillow. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, can't remember what movie it was. Just can't, can't mess with that. Yeah, I think I know the one actually. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the start of more. One of those absence movies with him, Giggy Ruff, and Nicholas Mueller. Yeah, and just yeah. Rub. It's like a pillow section. Yeah, it was amazing. Sick, fucking great. Uh, favorite gig that you can remember? Nationals. Nationals. 
salmonella dub, I reckon. Sick. I reckon. They pee digs. Any dig that any gig that pee digs is in, I I love shapeshifter aids. Yeah. Well, I've, I've found a whole lot of videos of his metal band, Police Lucifer. On oh, YouTube. really? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, pretty funny. It's the same dude, and he's all like, "Bah!" and shit. <laughs> it's funny, eh? Because yeah. um, Beastie Boys, yeah, who have done a little bit of time in New Zealand. I, I Spy and I hung out with um, MCA. Yeah. Uh, in the early, just after License to Ill had been no released, I way. think. And um, he came and slept on the floor. Get the fuck I said, out. Do you want a bed? Nah, mate. No, he didn't say like that. But um, yeah, and we went out for dinner. At, so, so he was a friend of Brent Reese's, yeah. who I was in the shop with. And he was like, oh, yeah, come over to Wanaka and see you. Oh, yeah. So, MCA, let's, let's fucking get, take this from the top. MCA from the Beastie Boys, couch surfed at your fucking house. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. And Norman Terrace. That's... And he was the nicest guy. Yeah. Well, he was... Another one gone too soon. Yeah, well, people don't realise he was actually up there when Alaska started he blowing off in the early 90s. He was a pretty good Wait, snowboard-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. uh... But yeah. Spy, um, I think Spy's, Spy's, when he comes in, he's probably got a story of, you know, he'd met him over here and then Spy was in the lift line somewhere in, I think in California somewhere and and, and MCA recognised him in the lift line. Holy shit. Yeah. That's but, um, <laughs> yeah, they used to be a punk band. Yeah. 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 All right. Um. <clears throat> That's where I was getting to. That was just another side <laughs> you started story. started out punk and then into hip hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite city? Oh, I hate cities. Oh, there we go then. <laughs> I don't have a favorite city. All right, favorite track? <laughs> I reckon the Cross Rocket. The Cross Rocket. Cross Rocket grab. Yep. Sweet. Sweet. And then if you, I'm not into all these spins. Well, the you know. Yeah. All this inverted spinning. Well, I am into it. I mean, it takes a lot of skill, but um. There's just some stylish shit out there. Yeah, yeah. And big, you know, um, just big laid out methods. Yeah. Well, that leads on, oh, not just yet. Favourite board graphic? Doughboy. Doughboy. Oh, I'm yeah. all about the Doughboy. Oh, you can't eh? fuck with that one, eh? It's <laughs> nah, pretty iconic. It is. And best method? <sighs> on the Doughboy. Oh, yeah? That's you, you <laughs> on the Doughboy? Yeah. Do you have documentation of such I things? I do somewhere. Oh, that'd be so I, sick. I, I, I'll try and dig it up, but um, um, or old uh, what's his name? Which Ross? Pa- Ross? <laughs> I don't know. A Ross. Oh, his last name's one. American Ross Olympics. Ross Powers. Gold, yeah, Ross Powers. Ross Powers. First hit. Me- big method. You know, he'd always do a big method. All oh, right, sick. No. I'm- any method that's 20 foot out of a half pipe's got to be a good method. Yeah, it's pretty unfuckwithable, eh? Mm. And, like, what's your thoughts on snowboarding today? Like, yay or nay? Or? Well, I kind of wish there was um, an outfit like the NZSBA, you know, something that's run by snowboarders for snowboarders to, to guide it. It seems yeah. to be doing all right by itself, but it could do better, I think. Right. So but what, um, some of the, like Zoe and all those guys, yeah. you know, they've come through... Snow Sports New Zealand, which is devoted to competition and high, high, um, elite level snowboarding. Yeah. But there's nothing down further. It's kind of been left to the ski sort fields. Of, 
yeah, sort of grassroots uh, yeah. events are sort of missing now, sort of thing. But there's no, the biggest thing that's missing is the nationals, I reckon. Yeah. They, they, I mean, we obviously we couldn't have those same nationals parties, but it's yeah. not about the parties totally. Yeah. You know, it's about that participation. Yeah. And um, being able to not have to be an elite athlete to participate, but just be anyone. Yeah, well, that, that was a big deal for me. Like, yeah, I remember going exactly. in the 96, 97 Nationals. Yeah. And I fucking sucked. Like, but I, who are you riding with? But, like, I, it was one of those things where I was like, I got to see Ollie Brunton do Cab yeah, Sevens yeah. in the Cadrona Halfpipe. Exactly. Didn't and, matter how good and how bad you were. Yeah. You could always be part of it. And it's one of those things that's like, holy shit, that was, like, the best thing ever to, yeah. like, see that. Yeah. So do you think... So people are missing out on that. Yeah, you know, do you people think... People like you, how old were you then? I would have been 16 when I yeah. seen that, yeah. So do you think it's possible for an organisation to come up and start making that sort of stuff happen again? Or is it sort of a relic of... A I, I hope it does, and I think it is possible. Yeah. I don't know if I've got enough energy to do it, but someone out there must do. Yeah. And I reckon, yeah it'd be a great thing to happen well so do we want do we got any advice for future shredders then in, in regards to uh segueing from this to don't listen to any negative stuff everything's positive just you know snowboarding is such a cool sport yeah that um you just got to get out there and do it and yeah. just find a way to this you can always find a way to do something you know, if you set your heart to it, you just yeah. you can do it. Right. And are you still riding these days? <laughs> well, yeah. We'll hark back to that list of 38 ACC claims. <laughs> and um, two of those claims where I ruptured my um, my Achilles tendons in the half pipe. Right. Which was in the early 2000s, late 90s. And they've come back to haunt me. So it's kind of... If I ride now, it takes me about three weeks to get over one run. So holy shit! Yeah, so it's more of so a it's pretty hard bike-based thing these days. So nowadays, I love yeah, I love mountain biking. So what's this? I remember. So hard. I mean, yeah, okay. I'm kind of cooking it here. We were supposed to end about 15 minutes ago, but <laughs> I've seen this iconic picture of you on your bike in the half pipe in the snow. What the hell was that all about? Ah, yeah, those are the days. Yeah, we um. Who was it? It was um, Neil Ives and yeah. myself. We we had cross country bikes at the time, I think, and we put wood screws through our, the knobs in our tyres, yeah. and we'd go and ride the pipe and the border cross course in the morning, and then later on we'd ride the um, the the slope style and um, the terrain park. But um, it was fun. It's yeah. it was a lot of fun. Right. So that was just the result of a, like, oh, imagine if sort of thing. Yeah, it was just, you know, falling off on a mountain bike on dirt sucks. Yeah. Falling off a mountain bike in the snow is a little better because you slide, but yeah. not when you've got wood screws sticking out of your tyres. Yeah. <laughs> so what we, did, uh, we, we, what we did after that was after a few injuries and slashed crutches and things like that, we got downhill bikes. Yeah. And then th- that made all the difference. You could. We we ended up hitting um, the booters in the terrain park up. Really, like yeah. the, the tabletops. Yeah, and shit. yeah, yeah. Holy shit! 
And um, I mean, Con- those... Conor McFarlane's taken it to another level now. Yeah, those tabletops <laughs> back then were no joke. They were like, no, they were still pretty big. Stick down motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah, that's like, right. Yeah, you know, there's claims so many ACLs. But you could, um, because we knew snow. Yeah. It felt more comfortable, I think. Yeah. Than jumping, I'd never jump that big on the dirt. Yeah. But um. And are you months. still biking much these days? Still it's biking something. heaps. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's still I love my biking. Still getting it. Yeah. Man. Totally. That's probably the next portion of my life. I'll just buy. All right. So, so you and straight round two. I'm sure I'll get a lot of questions of you. Should have, should have fucking said this, and you should have fucking said that. <laughs> you fucking kook. You blowing it, sort of thing. So nah, maybe we'll leave awesome. space for a you I'll and straight up in a part couple two. of years. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for your time, you oh, and... see, hey Ty, I just want to say again, thanks, mate. You've um. I think this is a wicked thing you're doing. Oh, and bro. I think everyone will think the same. And it's good. You know, in the end, you'll probably make a million dollars out of writing a book. <laughs> if, you get all this, this is, if you get all this information together, you've got a list of how many people up there? Oh, 20 PLA. people? Yeah. All those people? They've all said yes. I mean, it's a pretty illustrious list. It there. is a good tip. Fucking great! Oh, I'm pretty excited and nervous about the Ollie Burke one. Like, I, like, okay. I, I was saying that Hygie, it's going to have to probably come with a disclaimer of <laughs> the views of the, the oh, views yeah. of our guest are not necessarily the views of the podcast. Or yeah, something. something but nah, but yeah. good on you. That's great. No, sweet. Well, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. There you go.